Welcome to the Winter Palace. I'm your host, Mark Cole, editor and publisher of Odessa's Magazine. We just passed the 30th anniversary of the ending of the Gulf War, and to talk about its connection to pro wrestling, I am happy to be joined by my friend, reporter, and author Ashraf Khalil to talk about the infamous gimmick of Sergeant Slaughter, Iraqi Sympathizer. We're going to talk about the history of the gimmick, what was going on at the time, and that's going to segue into a larger discussion of the depiction of Middle Eastern slash Arab wrestlers in the world of wrestling from its very beginnings up until the current day. We're also going to talk about a lot of random stuff over the time because we have not talked in a long time, including comics, current wrestling, why I don't watch current wrestling, the state of the U.S. Postal Service, and other things. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Winter Palace. We just passed the 30th anniversary of the Gulf War ending, which has a very dubious connection to the world of pro wrestling. And that is Sergeant Slaughter turning Iraqi sympathizer and winning the WWF title. To talk about that and some related topics, I'm happy to welcome back to the show someone who lived through all that stuff with me at the time in college, uh, my friend, reporter, and author Ashraf Khalil. How's it going, Ash? Hello, Mark. How you doing, my man? I'm good. Um, like I said, uh, this was something I had thought about a while ago, and then to give them credit, um, Chris and Bix did a behind-the-sheets uh, Patreon special about melts about all the mess that Meltzer got into during the Gulf War angle, and I remembered, oh yeah, that's right. I had wanted to do something about that, so. I want to give those guys a shout out for jogging my memory, and like I said, yeah, we well, lived... you sent me you sent me the Wrestling Observer newsletter that sort of broke down the whole back and forth with Vince McMahon and Titan Sports and Frank DeFord and his, you know what you know, challenging Meltzer on it, and and I had forgotten a lot of that. So and I, I I'd for, it made me kind of nostalgic for the days of the National and and Meltzer writing about wrestling on that you know in that way. I liked it. Yeah, um, just to give. To to do we'll do the whole sort of backstory here. Um, at the time, uh, you and I are in college at Indiana, and I don't know if we still lived in the same building at this point or if you had moved yet. But uh, we at least at least the first year we lived on the same floor, which is when we found uh, our mutual interest in wrestling, because there weren't a whole lot of other wrestling fans that I recall at the time that watched it with us, because this was. During one of the down periods, I'm sure had we, we, were, been in... we were freshmen down the hall, you know, flat housemates or in the same dorm, and we're obsessed with the, the Wrestling Observer newsletter and its tiny, tiny print. You know, we could effectively say this is pre-internet. You know, yeah, the, in, yeah, in the, any yeah. effective way. And and Sandman. And I remember this was when Sandman was coming out, like in real time, and we were just living and dying on every every month's issue. Yeah, to put this in context, um, I was a freshman in 1988, and I think you were the year behind me. But, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I had, like, sort of been in a wrestling lull, uh, like, my freshman year. And then, like you said, that's when the National started coming. I, mean, I think when I was a sophomore, the National started coming out, and Dave Meltzer had 
a wrestling column in the National, and part of the reason that Dave did the National column, as I think we've learned later, was because he was he advertised the Observer in the in the column, and so that's when I started subscribing to the Observer, which was in the the winter of 1990. So, as as I told him uh, not too long ago, I think that you know I've been a subscriber to the Observer longer than I've not been an, a subscriber to the Observer at this point. Can you uh, still receive the tiny little paper copy in your mail? Does that option exist, or is it all uh, electronic? Oh, you'll love you'll love this. Um, we we joked uh, before we started about how what kind of any current events we'd be talking about on the pod today, and this is certainly one of them. I still get the print version, <laughs> and the mail is so bad now that. I, I'll send you. I think I still have this picture on my phone, so I'll send it to you. Um, I can now go weeks at a time without getting my issues. And last week, I got, um, I got two issues in the mail on the same day. Um, one one dated January something, and one dated February something. Huh. So I have I have occasionally gotten two at a time. I've gotten one. I think the one that came, the most recent one that I have is like two weeks late, so I haven't gotten the new one that, you know, may come next week. I very rarely actually ever get them the week they come out now. Hmm. But I mean, I sort of, it's the, well, see, the thing is that I watch almost no current product. I mean, I read about it, but I don't actually watch it, so. From any company? From you don't any, watch AEW, well, you don't watch. Well, if, if 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 CMLL actually was running now, I'd be watching that. But it got it had gotten very very stale before the pandemic, and then they have been running very infrequently since then, if at all, because you know Mexico has been Mexico City's been very very hit hard. So like there's been almost no lucha in Mexico for almost a year, other than like outlaw shows and occasionally. When it got better in the fall, uh, CML got the permission to start running again, and then they stopped. So I don't think they have run since before Christmas. Well, let me ask you a question. I know it's your show and everything, but I'm a journalist, so I interview people compulsively. It's annoying, I know. But uh, why are you not, you know, AEW has not drawn you in? You know, they certainly have a bit of lucha in there like you know more than wwf has or wwe has ever ever had you know they've, they've got some some lucha ish connections not enough to draw you in uh aew is run and founded by lots of people i personally do not like i do not like Ooh. cody i do not like the bucks i do not like omega so um on the on the uh Wrestling spectrum, I am much closer to the Cornet end than the AEW end. The Smoky Mountain purists? Well, it's the... I don't have a lot of time. It's kind of... Much like a lot of popular culture these days, I am much more interested in learning about old stuff than I am watching new stuff. Yeah. And given that... 
I see you're I mean, we are basically the same age, so mm. you can you grew up like me learning about lots of things that we only knew about that we had no access to. Sure. Whether that's books or movies or comics or wrestling or whatever. So nowadays there's so much of it that's easily available digitally you know, uh, officially or unofficially, that, you know, I'd rather watch all these movies from, like, the 30s, 40s, and 50s and television shows from the 60s and 70s than whatever is currently on Netflix or, you know, generally speaking. And the same with, you know, comics are so... Mainstream comics are so... uh, decompressed and hyper-violent and things that I don't really care about, I'd much rather get, you know, all these... Like, to me, the, the happiest I am every week now is when I go to Comicsology and I see there is, like, a new digital issue of Super Friends for me to read from when I was, like, six or seven. Because I never was able to find them as a kid, and even finding back issues is not that easy. So, with everything, I mean, is that is this me being uh, a crusty old white guy who is set in his ways and doesn't care about the kids? It's like, I don't begrudge the new stuff. Well, AEW a little. But it's like, you know, <laughs> if you like your, you know, you like your postmodern sitcoms or whatever, you know, your... I don't know, what modern, you know, modern family, or I don't even know what like the. I guess there really aren't network sitcoms anymore, but they you know what I mean. Kind of are. They're sort of like toiling away in the darkness, like you know, on CBS and stuff like like stuff with laugh tracks. Like my my kids just got into some show on Disney. I've got two daughters, four and or the five and seven, and they just got into some sitcom on Disney that had a laugh track, and they had never heard a show with a laugh track before. But it's, and it's kind of like this retro sitcom that, that's like deliberately doing it like sort of old school. They're just like, what is that? Are those, who are, who's laughing? What's happening? See, it's the kind of thing where it's like now that I can easily watch like 60s British spy shows that never made it here. It's like, you know, we got the Avengers and we got the Saint and we got the Prisoner. But like there's a whole bunch of shows that like you've probably never heard of that from the 60s that I can now watch if I want. Sure. So I'm like I'm more interested in watching that than whatever's on currently, you know. And again, I don't know that I got into. I was I was reading new comics like when I sort of got into having an iPad and discovering the comicsology on the iPad. I feel like iPads are just made for electronic comics. But then I lost my iPad and I decided not to get a new one because I knew my kids would just take it over and 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 have one more screen they were staring at. So, but I was into some new comics. What was I reading? I was reading Chew. I was yes, reading Chew. some of some of Hickman's independent stuff, and even like Hickman's um, Avengers and New Avengers run. Like that drew me back in as uh, you know in my forties. Yeah, there, really the only I mean, thing that stopped me was not having access to an iPad. Yeah, without there, the iPad, I can't do comics online. Yeah, there. I mean, there are yes, there are a lot of very very good. Uh, well. I never it's did like, Saga. Everybody else did. Like, for whatever reason, I missed the entire Saga boat. Well, the good thing about that is there hasn't been a new issue in like three years. So 
you can like get the two big giant hardcovers and get caught up like in a day if you wanted. Mm, but uh, and I, I read and I read the Tom King Vision just because I even you know I, I actually went to a comic store and bought those because I heard that they were so amazing and they were yes that's that's like the best thing of like that's like the best two book in like the last five years probably like <laughs> really his you know like his Mister Miracle was very interesting but like. It's it's hard to describe, but it's 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 very weird. It's like it's not weird the same way the vision is, but but you know it's Mister Miracle and Dark Side and just all sorts of crazy stuff. And then you know DC is you know gone really dark, and you know, again you know, there's a dystopian future, and they're getting ready to reboot again. And it's like that's probably been oh like, yeah, I can't, I can't. That's like at least ten reboots, you know, since the first one when when we were kids. So it's like I was always a Marvel kid, and then in DC I got into Vertigo in college with you. Um, but I was a Marvel, I was an X Men kid so much growing up. But now it's like like. It's even getting like a ba- I'm getting sort of backdoored into stuff like this. Like my daughter has gotten into a show called Star Girl. Uh, I think it's a Netflix show, and it's some sort of lineage of the Ted Knight Starman yeah, well, cosmic. Well, here I think it's the same writer. Is it James Robinson? Still no, somehow well, involved in this? Like t- yes and no. Like so they what reference it, Ted Knight. Yeah. No, here, no, Ted yet. Yeah. Here's the here's the thing. Okay. Do you remember? Again, this, I don't know how deep your DC knowledge goes, but in, instead of the Justice Society, there was a group in the Golden Age, and then later called the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Okay, they're referenced in this TV show, and the okay. TV show is aimed at like teenagers, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, well, well, yeah. Just, I'll, I'll try and do this quick. Okay, yeah. so the Seven Soldiers of Victory were like the JSA light. That's they like. Green Arrow was actually in the Seven Soldiers, right. so it was like um, Green Arrow and Speedy, um, Speedy. The, sh- the 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 Shining Knight, um, the Crimson Avenger, and the, the Crimson Avenger had a sidekick who was the unofficial Ace member, but he was an Asian stereotype named Wing who has been sort of erased from history. Oh this, yeah, there's, yes, there's this, a lot of that. There's yes, this will this that. will this sort of ties into what we're going to talk about, kind of. Uh, uh, but uh, and you know, and the the vigilante, the guy, this the cowboy guy. Anyway, so they so they were so then the other two members were the Star Spangled Kid and Stripesy. Yep, Stripesy. Yes, so that Stripesy, like, is now Luke Wilson. Yes. <laughs> As and a middle-aged, slightly broken-down stripesy, yes. Okay, so anyway, so fast forward to like the James Robinson era of Justice Society and Starman, and Jeff John started writing JSA with Robinson, and then he took it over. So he made a new Star Spangled Kid, which is Star Girl, who was now this is kind of creepy. If you didn't, if you don't know this part, okay, okay, Jeff John's sister, whose I think name was Courtney, was killed in a pl- in a in a plane crash. Hmm. I I God I can't remember if it's actually 
if it was terrorist related or just a plane crash. I want to say Pan Am 103. Anyway, so his sister died in a plane crash when they were when she was a kid. So Star Girl is like his tribute to his dead sister. Okay. It's kind of like how Jeff Loeb's made the new Nova as a tribute to his dead son. Hmm. Uh, anyway. But anyway, so then they made a book, like, this is now 20, probably 20 years ago now. But there's a book called Stars and Stripe, which, like, the first issue guest starred uh, Jack Knight. And then, like, Jack Knight gave Courtney the, the cosmic rod. In the comics, and then she and then she joined the JSA and blah 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 and so yeah so and I think there's going to be another new book that he's writing based now that it's a TV show. But yeah, but yeah, there's enough diversity now. With I mean, especially now that Warner Brothers and Disney own DC and Marvel, that we've now seen that you can do a version. You can you can niche market these comic book shows now that they're big enough demographically. I mean, like, you know, there's enough comic book shows that you can do, you can do a black lightning show where you can do, you know, where you can deal with inner city, blah, blah issues and stuff using black lightning, sort of the way he was, has mostly been used over the years in Mm -hmm. DC books. So you can have like, that demographic show you can have a show for girl you know or i guess the titan show is sort of supposed to be sort of you know teen soap opery kind of like teen titans were in the 80s yeah that's the one my 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 kids aren't allowed to watch that yet it's too much swearing but you know and you look at you know you look at now these marvel shows where wandavision is this weird postmodern mix of sitcom pastiche and horror and grief, you know, and dealing with grief. And then Falcon and Winter Soldier is going to be a spy show. And then Loki... My, my, my seven-year-old is, 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 is super into, like, Captain Marvel and whatever aspects of comic book culture I'm, like, letting her, you know, ingest. She's lapping it up. And she's mad at me that I'm not letting her watch WandaVision. No, I'm, just, like, yeah. I'm just like, you wouldn't understand it, and it might give you nightmares. Like, I, oh, really, I think, I, I, you know... Yeah, I, th- I think that'd be a that'd be a safe bet. But anyway, so that you know, there's enough sort of differential of stuff like that now. Anyway, now that we've totally well, digressed. Well, if I well, so let's get back to wrestling. Let me just make a recommendation. I also like the I never fully understood the appeal of the Young Bucks. Like even when they were sort of indie darlings, like I I just never yeah they're like I could always take or leave them. And I could always kind of take or leave Cody, although I enjoyed, you know, just as somebody who spent half his career as a freelancer, you know, the fact that he was sort of like leaving the big company to go out there and, and, and make a bet on himself. He kind of liked the, the meta, you know, plot there. But I don't really care about Cody. I don't really care about the Young Bucks. And I, and, and, and I like AEW. I like what they're doing. And, I'm, and I've never seen Kenny Omega as a heel. But... Now I am, and it's like, all right, sure, why not? I'm enjoying Don Callis being back in my life. The only thing—it's not bad. Get, the, don't, don't write off AEW. No, no. Come on. The, the only, 
the only person that I would watch and sort of if I could isolate them because I've been a fan of his for you know 15 years or whatever since I saw him in the Indies is Eddie Kingston who we who oh, I used to who I used got to see so much out of Eddie Kingston they I got used to so see so much juice out of Eddie Kingston man he I was mean great. you have to understand I used to sit 10 feet from him in the in the front row at Chikara when he would just when he was brutalizing people and busting their noses open and all kinds of stuff. So, you know, I've been, you know, I've been a fan of his for a long, long time. So while I, I don't choose to watch it, I am, I am happy that like he has gotten, I mean, he, I think yeah, he that was, is damn near a public service, like giving Eddie Kingston that kind of national ride. I mean, yeah. I think I think if I remember, I think somebody said he won like best interviews in the Observer Awards this year. Oh God, I can't even imagine. Yeah, no, but, but I mean, but I mean, it's easily, funny because, but easily. what's funny is he's not doing anything different in 2020 than I was seeing him do in 2007. Mm. I mean, it's basically the same. You know, he's the same guy more or less. So, Love but anyway, so speaking of, well, I was gonna say he's. He's not real. I was he he has very he has some stereotypical characteristics in that he's like a, a loud, angry New Yorker. Yeah. But so. uh, other than that, so anyway, so back to the our original topic. So yes. anyway, so so for people that don't remember this or only have vague notions, so Sergeant Slaughter had been gone from the WWF for like five years. This is because he left at when he was like at the top because he was arguing with Vince McMahon over money and image rights because that's when he was going to be in the G.I. Joe cartoon. Uh-huh. So he left. He went to the AWA. He occasionally did some stuff in the NWA, but not really. He was mainly in the AWA and he was doing independence because he was sort of he was making enough money being Sergeant Slaughter that you know, he could afford to wrestle in the dying days of the AWA on ESPN and do all of his commercial stuff. But, you know, by 1990, you know, the AWA is gone. And so he goes back to WBF. And we're in a very interesting time politically uh, for the Sarge. Because... Um, the Cold War had "quote unquote" ended, had just ended, at this point. Um, so you had this this weird uh, phenomenon where you had a number of guys who have been longtime Russian heels turn babyface, mm-hmm. including well Nikita Koloff turned babyface because of Magnum, but Nikolai Volkov turned babyface in the in the WWF. And lo and behold, wouldn't Turned you... Lithuanian, didn't he? Yes. Something wouldn't like you know? That? Wouldn't you know that all the all the Russians that turned babyface were suddenly from Lithuania? Mm. Because for people that don't remember, Lithuania had been one of the Baltic states in the Soviet Union, who apparently had never really wanted to be in the Soviet Union. And now there was no more Soviet Union; they were happy to be free, but they were still being. They, they are still having the thumb put on them by the Russian government. And so, the, you know, I remember 
because I was, conveniently enough, during this time, I was taking a class on U.S. foreign policy since 1945 as the world is changing, which, needless to say, was very interesting. So I remember writing papers about sort of like the siege of Lithuania and all that kind of stuff. So into this era comes Sergeant Slaughter. And he comes back first as a heel. And he's back to being sort of the old school, early 1980s heel Sergeant Slaughter, calling people. He was back to being a drill instructor that was too violent for the Marines and was thrown out of Paris Island. Yep. And so he arrives saying everyone has gone soft. And why are people cheering for this Pinko Kami Nikolai Volkov? So you have this weird dynamic where patriotic Sergeant Slaughter is a heel. And of course, this is also coming on the heels of uh, Arlie Emery and Full Metal Jacket. So the the heel drill instructor has suddenly become, uh, is in the zeitgeist again. So you have Babyface, former Soviet singing national anthem, Nikolai Volkov, who's now Lithuanian. And you have evil, patriotic drill instructor, Sergeant Slaughter, who's a heel. Okay. So that feud goes on for a while. And then this somehow slowly morphs by the end of the year. And, of course, um, in the real world, uh, tensions are building in the Persian Gulf. And you've got Saddam Hussein. Um, I about said saber rattling. I realize that's probably a bad choice of words. <laughs> um, given that I'm about to, we're about to introduce General Adnan LKC. Mm-hmm. Um, so by the fall of 1990, Sergeant Slaughter, G.I. Joe, Patriot, Evil, Drill Instructor, is now. Uh, being matched by the former Sheik Adnan LKC, who is now just General Adnan, and has grown his mustache so that he very much resembles Saddam Hussein, and he occasionally alternates from wearing his traditional wrestling stereotypical Middle Eastern garb. Um, by the end... Um, well, that may not come till later, but they start wearing Iraqi military uniforms. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the the push, the hostilities are increasing uh, in the Persian Gulf, as they say. And slaughter is now getting this push, and so it comes to a head. Well, you now have by. By January, um, there is a U.N. deadline for Iraq to get out of Kuwait, which they've invaded by now. Right. There was an oil dispute. There was a dispute over sort of an oil field that was under both borders. And, yeah, and, and yeah, since Saddam uh, just rolled through Kuwait in a day, basically. I mean, it's a tiny little place, and they don't have much for military. So, so yeah. So there's hostility, there are growing hostilities in the Middle East. And now Sergeant Slaughter is 
going to be wrestling for the for the world title at the Royal Rumble against the Ultimate Warrior. And they're they're laying it on thicker and thicker. And this is, you know, the, the whole thing we were talking about, the uh, Dave writing in the Observer and the National about that got WF very hot about. Um, so Can we also just do an aside that if I recall correctly, Sergeant Slaughter's finisher at this time was not the Cobra Clutch. It was something that you and I were calling the Atomic Noogie. Yes, and I'm... Where I'm... he basically just grinds his giant knuckle which you could see like he had these massive hands just grinds his giant knuckle into the into the guy's forehead while he's sitting on the on the mat and and gets a a, a tap out that way or yeah i was what yeah we've been watching a bunch of youtube stuff leading up to this um some of which we'll put in the notes um but yeah when slaughter first comes back as a heel in the summer yeah he is no longer using the cobra clutch he is using yes what we described as the atomic noogie which i believe is actually the the like accepted parlance for that now <laughs> i've never seen anyone else use it no i i was watching that Matt. i was watching slaughter's first job match on tv and in the comments somebody referenced the atomic noogie so <laughs> yeah so basically it was he grabbed the guy in a in a vice lock and yeah ground his his uh his index knuckle into the guy's temple until he gave up. However, by the time that we're getting to, Slaughter has now appropriated uh, the traditional hold of the Middle Eastern wrestler, the camel clutch. Of course, of course. They they train all of us, even, even non-wrestling Middle Easterners. They train us on that. Even though it might have been invented by Gory Guerrero, but that's beside the point. Um, so, yes... And so this, to me, peaks. And I, I sent you this clip, and, and I have it on a VHS that I saved from the time. Um, the Royal Rumble is going to happen after the UN deadline. And as it turns out, the war starts before Slaughter wins the belt at the Royal Rumble. But there's, they're going full steam ahead with this. And, of course, this has all been designed... Um, for Slaughter to lose the WWF title to the extremely patriotic red, white, and blue waving Hulk Hogan at the L.A. Memorial Coliseum, which holds 100,000 people. So they will break the the WrestleMania record, whether it's 79,000 or 93,000, whatever number you choose to believe, but it'll be more than 93,000. So the plan all along is this patriotic orgy of Hogan defeating the evil Iraqi um, at WrestleMania. All of which, you know, they did not plan on the actual war breaking out. So we, so to me, this peaks on an interview with Gene Okerlund, and this would be the picture on the on the podcast. Um, and it's not just that. Um, as as people pointed out when you watch this in hindsight, you know, we've occasionally had political angles that were obliquely referenced. Like, the worst it used to get was foreign wrestler X would say he's going to win title X and take it back to his homeland. 
whether that's Ivan Koloff winning the world title to take back to Russia or General Adnan did actually say this when he wrestled Nick Bockwinkle in the AWA that he was going to take the AWA title back to Baghdad and have a parade or whatever. So that's generally about as far as it went. But Slaughter and Adnan are on TV talking about how they are good friends with Saddam Hussein. Um, More on that in a second. And that they will be taking the World Wrestling Federation title back to Baghdad and having a parade. And Slaughter is going to conquer the World Wrestling Federation the same way Saddam Hussein conquered Kuwait. And because Saddam Hussein has been so proud of Sergeant Slaughter and General Adnan at this point, he has sent them a present. A present, a present that General Adnan pulls out and it is a box wrapped in USA Today newspaper. My favorite with, touch, that it was yes, wrapped in the, the, the USA Today. With Saddam's face right on the front. Yep. And Slaughter opens it. What is inside, Ash? <laughs> a pair of Sergeant Slaughter sort of military boots with the Iron Sheik curved toes. Yes, they are uh, khaki green, yep. uh, emblazoned with the Sergeant Stripes, but they are, as uh, are unofficially known in wrestling, genie boots or elf boots. Yep. But we all know what they are. And so that is his present from Saddam Hussein, and he says he will wear these when he wins the World Wrestling Federation title in two weeks at the Royal Rumble or whatever. So yes, Slaughter does indeed win uh, the title as the war is going on. Now here is the funniest thing of all. Everyone's complaining about this angle. Dave Meltzer's complaining. Uh, people in real newspapers are complaining about it. Who else is complaining about this m- angle? The Iraqi government complains about it. <laughs> like they didn't have better things to do. The Iraqi government uh, or the Iraqi embassy or whatever basically uh, sent word to knock it off <clears throat> or, or tone it down or something. So after he wins the title, obliquely, there are no more actual references to Saddam Hussein anymore. Mm. There's still Iraqi stuff, and they're still in the gear. And and it's funny that if you look at some of the clips from between when he wins the belt to WrestleMania, Slaughter goes back to wearing khakis again, and he's wearing his um, his army helmet, which up until this, from the fall until the rumble, he had been wearing the headdress and the sunglasses. Oh, the headdress. The time-honored wrestling tradition. Yes, I mean, they've... Yes, he, you know, it, from head to toe in stereotype. <clears throat> you sent me some YouTube video of some fake Arab bad guy that I had never heard of in my life. Uh, what was his name? The Great Mephisto? Yes, the Great Mephisto, who... That was new to me, who claimed, if, if my ears do not deceive me, I listened to it like three times, who claimed to be from Suri Arabia. Not Saudi Arabia. Suri Arabia, which does not exist, just, you know, to clarify. 
Well, and, and one point I would make, one point I would have to make from the from the Sergeant Slaughter video where, where he got the, the the boots, you know, from Saddam Hussein personally, is that that the Iron Sheik, when he's out there, like usually, I mean, he could just speak any damn gibberish and would get the same amount of heat. Actually, spoke Arabic. Well, Which he's not a he's Iranian, like he's not a native Arab speaker. But no, I no, guess no, he no, no, Arabic no, no, as well. no, 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 General Adnan is really from Baghdad. Right, but the Iron Sheik, this was this was Colonel. Oh, oh yeah, when he's Colonel Mustafa. But he's Colonel Although, Mustafa came out there, which I didn't know the guy could. I'd heard him speak Persian, but he spoke the things he was saying. is like we got this great gift, and we're very honored. He was speaking. Arabic, which was a completely unnecessary bit of of accuracy and diligence in, uh, did, in did you this. Did you watch the clip that I sent you of the Iron Sheik from like 1977, when all he is when he is not speaking English the entire time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all Persian, which I can't vouch for. What no, no, saying. but I'm but I'm just saying that like, and it's funny to see. It's funny when you see he looks like a beast too. Well, it's funny that even before the clips before that, like in the AWA, if you go on YouTube, there are clips from the AWA, which is where he was trained. He was like trained in like the same class as like Flair in the early seventies. Okay. Um, is when he's got like a full head of hair and a mustache. And there's, um, there's clips of him when he worked in Florida when he's Ali Vaziri. Mm. You know he's he's got a head of hair and a mustache, and when you when you squint, you can tell it's the sheik. But it's so weird that he's looked like the sheik for forty years, pretty much. So anyway, so we get to this. So yes, yeah, so slaughter is now going back to just wearing fatigues, although he's wearing the elf boots, and uh, he's now occasionally he will come out and he will burn Hulk Hogan's T-shirt. You will burn a Hulk Hogan poster and all these things. And, and meanwhile, all, all this time... Did they ever burn a flag? I, I don't think so. I'm sure it came up in the meetings. Did they ever burn a flag? I, I'd have to do the research on that. I, didn't, I did not find right. that in my research, but I would not rule it okay. out. <laughs> um, but um, also at the same time, Hogan has been going around to military bases meeting with families of servicemen serving in the Gulf. Now, one of the bones of contention in that observer stuff is that they may have been try- like Hogan wanted to go to the Middle East with the USO. And apparently the State Department nixed it. So apparently he had to do all of his sort of politicizing domestically. He was not allowed to go over and actually like be in theater and Meltzer wrote that up but like got s- some detail wrong like maybe he said a different like defense department nixed it and not state and that prompted you know letter wars for weeks uh, between Vince and the national and Meltzer and all this right yeah they yeah yeah he got he had the spirit of the story but not the letter of the law and you know that you know, occasionally that yeah, having the spirit of the story with some of the details wrong is enough to get to get you slapped on the wrist by your editor. More than enough, yes. Right. So yeah, and then they complained and they said Dave, you know, was a biased reporter. And then 
the National wrote a story about all this, but they took Dave off of it because they needed to talk to Vince, and Vince wouldn't talk to Dave. So basically, somebody else had to write the story using Dave's info, and Dave wasn't happy about that. And you can understand, but yeah, that's a really tricky. I can see stuff like that happening with you know with investigative reporters, and it's like, okay, look, you know, you've done good work, but. You're radioactive for this story, so we're putting you in the, you know, so somebody else gets the byline. And that's, yeah, it happens. It does. And, and you get the additional reporting by. Right, but Meaning, you also do kind of feel like you're being bullied by these institutions when your editor gives in on something like that. Yeah, but like, you know, DeFore wrote him back and is in the national, where, you know, DeFore basically said, I understand, but it's like, in this time, we sort of need, like, the story's big enough that we need to get the other side, and for us to do that, somebody else has to write the story, even though, like, it's not you, it's me, kind of thing. Yeah, stuff like that is fascinating, I don't know about to the general public, but as a journalist, it's fascinating to me, yeah. Yeah, so they get to the point, um, and then right after the rumble, for security reasons... WrestleMania has moved from the 100,000-seat Coliseum to the L.A. Sports Arena. Um, had nothing to do with lack of ticket sales. <laughs> so, and then Hogan triumphantly wins the belt. And on, and then at some point in all of this, it may have been before WrestleMania, it may have been after, um, Sarge, there's, once again using every trick in the Arab playbook, he learns to throw fire. <laughs> so he throws fire at Hogan at some point. Oh. And then, what's funny is, I don't think it's actually until after WrestleMania, um, in between the WrestleMania match and the SummerSlam match, that we actually get the introduction of Colonel Mustafa. And I actually went back and watched his introduction. They introduce him as Colonel Mustafa. At least in the first couple shows, they never actually say it's the Iron Sheik. So in, in the, the, theory, the clip that you sent me, we had Lord Alfred Hayes in his glory. Just yeah, they'd never heard of this guy before. Thus, in a way, insulting the audience of all their fans, <coughs> and two, ignoring the elephant in the room of having an Iranian portraying an Iraqi, which um, which is funny to digress that, I don't know if I sent this clip to you or not, but at some point in the dying days of the AWA, they actually brought the Iron Sheik in and teamed him with General Adnan. And in the interview, they mentioned that there's after nine years, there's finally peace between Iran and Iraq. And so... We're they happy did an to... Iran-Iraq unity heel team? Yes. So they were happy to, to team now, and they came out and kissed each other on the cheek and said, you know, and there's General Adnan holding the Iranian flag all happy and everything, and you're like, this is very strange, to, you know, again, if you know the real world. But, you know, uh, as we'll get to, you know, um, the world of wrestling does not really uh, go for granular details about things like this, you know. Yeah, we don't we don't get too caught up in that. It's it's uh, you know close enough. Yeah. 
So then we get to the uh, <clears throat> we get to SummerSlam where there's oh they are also now the 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 heel stable is called the Triangle of Terror, which I believe is another uh, Gulf War catchphrase. Mm-hmm. Much like you know, this is not related to this, but if you remember when global wrestling started, um, you had Del Wilkes as the Patriot, sure, and then eventually, and and his finisher was a flying shoulder block called the Patriot Missile, which is I what don't we, remember that, which which sure, which which we use, which is what uh, we used during the war, and then Doug Gilbert. Uh, came in as the Dark Patriot once Eddie was booking. And his finisher, of course, was the exact same move, only it was the Scud Missile. Classy. So, you know, it always got to play up to the zeitgeist. So, we get to SummerSlam, and it's Hogan and the Warrior versus the Triangle of Terror, um, which, of course, Hogan and the Warrior win. And then that starts the slow, redemptive turn of Sergeant Slaughter. Who's now seen the light? Is now doing videos uh, with Gene saying, "I'm ashamed of what I did, and I want my country back." So he then starts teaming with with Patriot Jim Duggan, which leads eventually to the end of the year where Sarge manages to beat uh, Adnan and Mustafa uh, in a handicap match. I believe pretty much sealing off this angle. So it's funny that the whole thing really doesn't only last like about a year. But, you know, it's it's one of the like the worst things in my, you know, when you start making a list of bad tastings in wrestling, the list is endless. But but here's a funny thing. This is from um this is from like a February 91 observer. The uh this is Dave quoting a Larry King episode when Vince is on with Larry King, and this was during our uh, our feud with Libya, a different uh, Arab bad guy. Yeah. So would you want so would Larry King? So would you now be out looking for a Libyan right now, a guy who will look like Gaddafi, who's not going to win? Vince, no, I don't think we would go for that. I don't think we would go that far. Again, I think there's a fine line in terms of what you are presenting to the public and some things that are very sensitive. I think we have the good taste to stay away from. Other things that are less sensitive, that are more fun in terms of how they are positioned from a marketing standpoint, you can have all the fun you want. So in the mid-'80s, Vince thought having a Libyan bad guy was too extreme. Fast forward, you know, half a decade, and Vince Vince has an Iraqi sympathizer as champion during an actual war. And as as people have pointed out when they talked about this, uh, wrestling, of course, wrestling has no shortage of stereotypes. And, I mean, we've... You've had ethnic wrestlers since the very beginning. Like, there was a guy at the turn of the 20th century who was a big deal, whose name was the Terrible Turk, who was a, a, like yeah. a real, it was a real Turkish guy. 
But this is like a guy who, who like, fought, you know, Gotch and Hackenschmidt. You know, and then you had, like, you know, the great Gama in India and people like that. But, you know, in, like, the modern modern popular culture, you know, and, and I, I did a paper on this in college. I mean, it's sort of obvious thing, but it's like in the 50s, you had Nazi villains and Japanese villains. You know, in the seven, you know, in the 60s and 70s, you had Russian villains. And then in the 80s, I mean, you had them in the 70s too, but in, starting in the 70s and in the 80s, you get all of the Middle Eastern villains. Yep. And, you know, and, and forward. But, and you had, you know, you had, um, you had guys from Vietnam. Oh, well, you had sort of your generic, again, you had Japanese, you had Chinese, you had Vietnamese guys. We've but got you, a whole, a whole, yeah, a whole very unfortunate parade of, of, of that well through the, the 80s, what is it, Killer Khan and, my God, I think they, they did a lot of that stuff down in Texas. I mean, in Cal, I mean, Calgary, you had two guys from Japan under hoods as the Viet Cong Express. Oh, God. It's so much worse than even... Yeah, I know. I know. But, but, but that's also... That's, that's in the 1980s, though. Well, Mr. Fuji's career lasted well, well into the late 80s and 90s. No, no, no. What I'm, what I'm saying is... You had the Viet Cong Express in like 1985, Calgary. I mean, <laughs> I mean, but I mean a good, te- but I mean it's it's a good, you know, however many years after the fact. <clears throat> and admittedly, Cold War Russians are sort, of, but like I don't, re- I mean, I didn't see any clips. I'm sure this is probably possible, but like I don't know what kind of angles the Iron Sheik was doing. During the actual hostage crisis, you know, I mean, while it's active, I mean, I found a clip of Mid-South where the Iron Sheiks were, and this is for Bill Watts, where, you know, this is in 1981, so it's after the hostages, but, you know, Watts says something back, you know, the Iranians took advantage of, and then he said, you know, we could have ended it in a day if we'd have won it. Yes, that's the clip you sent me where I think he's wrestling young Buddy Landell. Yes. Yeah. And Watts, like, yeah, Watts refers to the Iranian hostage crisis, which I guess was over by then, as as a so-called stalemate, and basically says, yeah, you know, if America wanted that thing to be over, we could have, that would have lasted a day. So I I noted that, I noted that reference. I mean, the great thing about, I mean, the great thing, I mean, you know, I love Watts for a lot of things, but. You know that Watts often went a lot, went the extra yard in a lot of these xenophobic angles. That you oh, honestly, when I when I opened when you sent me this link and I, I pressed play, I'm like, oh my god, Bill Watts on an on an iron. I was like, just hand over my heart, waiting for something truly horrible. And honestly, on the Bill Watts scale, that was like a one out of ten. That was I was so relieved that that's all we got out of it. I mean, you had the um, there's a clip that I saw recently because Bill uh, Butch Reed was in it, and Butch Reed just passed away. And Nikolai Volkov's involved, and he comes out, and it it may have been Duggan or it may have been somebody else, but he he comes out and he hits the babyface with a giant sack of wheat, 
because he's carrying around a bag of wheat because it's during the grain crisis. I mean, Eddie, when Eddie Gilbert was managing the Russians, he carried around a little red shovel to, to, to bury people, which is like a Khrushchev reference. I mean, it's like those little things that endear me to like, because, you know, it's one thing just to be overly, you know, to be just stereotypical. But to be clever about it is like, well, I sort of like I admire the, the, the deviousness of it. The attention to detail does deserve some. Yes, sure. Like I said, I was impressed that, that the Sheik was actually like say that the Iron Sheik was actually speaking proper Arabic, really saying all the real lines that you would say. Like nobody, nobody's translating this. But it just, you know, uh, we, we respect we respect the attention to detail. We do. But, uh, yeah, so it's funny because I was doing research on, on a bunch of these sort of better known. And I guess this is this, this was this was a question I was going to save to actually ask you. But I was like, OK, so if we're discussing like the sort of litany of Middle Eastern slash Arab wrestlers. Mm. Where would you define? Who would you include that to be from what? Who would count in, in wrestling terms? Who would be counted as "quote unquote" in Arab, and who wouldn't be? Because because I'm wondering, do you count guy guys doing like uh, stereotypical Turkish gimmicks, like guys who are sultans or Ali Bay or have genie gimmicks? Does that make? I assume if you're wearing genie pants or you're wearing a turban. And you're Turkish. Is that are you? Do you fall under the Arab stereotype umbrella? I mean, in the world of wrestling, you do, yeah. Like not not in actual sort of ethnographic, uh, you know, Turks are not Arabs, and they would tell you that. Iranians are not Arabs, and they would tell you that. Um, but yeah, in wrestling world, sort of that's like brown and devious with baggy pants. But you know, I mean, yeah. it's like. Do does like the whole sort of sort of xenographic foreign like if you're from anywhere close in that part of the world like even though it's nowhere close like do Mongols count or are they more like would you count them more closer to the Japanese Chinese stereotype wrestlers I would I would I would say that Mar yeah Mongols would be the border. Essentially, they're 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 the shared territory between, you know, my people's villains and the, uh, you know, proud tradition of the Asian villains. They're they're sort of they're the they're the tweeters. And then it's like, then do you count like North Africans? Like if you're from Morocco, I assume in wrestling terms, you count as being, quote, an Arab. They count as Arabs. Have we ever had a Moroccan villain? I was trying to think or about... Or an Algerian, like a Franco-Arab villain? I mean, is wrestling... Is there, a, is there a tradition of wrestling in France? Because if, if there is, I'm sure they've had an Algerian villain. There, I, I should have asked my friend Matt about this, because my friend Matt is one of those people who is doing the research on all that 50s catch uh, French stuff that's now on YouTube. Like they, I don't think of French wrestling. I hear about old-timey 
English wrestling and German wrestling. I don't hear about French wrestling. Well, this is like, I mean, yes, and the, I'll, I'll fish this out later. But yeah, there's a clip of young, like super young Al Hayes wrestling in France. Okay. From like 1958 or something like that. Okay, then, I, then I'm sure they've had some Algerian, you know, or Franco-Arab bad guys. They because, must, I mean, because like we said before, we've obviously had Libyan bad guys. Because mm-hmm. um, we, you know, there was a guy in, in mid, there was a, I know there have been, I think there used to be a guy who just generically wrestled as the terrorist. Oh, that's just lazy. Who I think was supposed to be from Libya, though I bet that was probably a guy who whose gimmick hometown changed as necessary. So then, and then do you include, like, how far down the continent do you, does you, do you go from the Arab bad guy to, like, the sort of African stereotype. Like, well, how many of those have we had? Like, sort of the, 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 oh, are we, well, I mean, are we talking, like, the tribal African or, like, the militant coup leader African? Because, like, well, I think, I think, I know you're not watching WWE, but uh, I think Apollo Crews is now trying out the sort of, like, pissed-off Nigerian. Well, it's, it's funny uh, as you mentioned that, because just tonight I said, I said, hmm, this sounds familiar, and I posted the clip from, from, uh, from Crockett when, uh, when the Zambui Express debuted in Mid-Atlantic. And I don't know this. Tell me. Oh, okay. Do you know? Do you know who Bad Leroy Brown was? Big, big giant, black guy, bald with a beard, like sort of look, kind of. Sort of looking like Mabel or Viscera. Okay. Okay. So you have Leroy Brown, and then you have a guy named Ray Candy, who is Heard also as well. Yeah. Okay, very large, very plump black guy. Okay. So they started this in Florida, and they came to Crockett. And, um, and this is like '84, '85-ish. Um. So. They change from be- they are tired of being oppressed. So they they go from being Leroy Brown and Ray Candy to Mr. Elijah Akeem and Mr. Kareem Muhammad. Oh, these are some lazy ass names, people. Wearing wearing fatigues. <laughs> okay. So and and Wait, it's this fun. is what year? This is what I mean. Is that like a Black Panther thing or no? No, or this is no. This is like to Africa thing. No, this is like this is like Idi Amin era okay. kind of okay. okay kind of stuff. Yeah, so they come out and they basically say, you know, we're going back to our heritage. They may, I believe they they use the word renounce at least once mm. about. Uh, Whatever, and it's funny. To, actually, let me just since since I just watched it, it's funny because it has subtitles, so I can read it. But anyway, so they were managed by JJ in Florida, and they come to Mid Atlantic. You know, like when all of like the Dusty guys move from 
down there to to from Florida to Crockett. Now I gotta find it. Okay, let me turn it off. So so JJ's coming in and he's ma- so he's matching him in Florida, but he's also gonna manage Ron Bass and Black Bart. So he can't manage two tag teams in the area. So he's he's selling the contract of the Zambui Express to Paul Jones. Okay. And so as he comes out, JJ is going to JJ is going to read a statement that Mr. Kareem Muhammad has prepared. So as soon as it comes up on the screen, I will it will read it. Let's see. So JJ is reading this and their subtitles. My tremendous accomplishments in the world of professional wrestling for the last several years have gone virtually unnoticed because oh and it has caused me to reevaluate my priorities. As of this moment, I will be addressed as Mr. Elijah Akeem, a name more consistent with my heritage. And with my partner, Mr. Kareem Muhammad, we intend to make right the many injustices we have been forced to endure over the last 200 years. All right. We will no longer have to beg for the recognition we deserve. At a combined weight in 730 pounds, the Zambui Express now demand the proper respect of all parties concerned. Our ring attire is symbolic. A retire is symbolic. A constant reminder of our stand, a position we are unwilling to compromise. We serve notice but one, but once. Those who fail to heed our warning and who fail to conform to our demands will be punished. So, yeah, so you've got these two, like, six-foot-five black guys with beards wearing sunglasses and wearing camo. Okay, so we've then, done that. But then, like, like Armand Hussein, who I think was from Texas, um, he apparently, when I was doing the research on him, because he wore, like, a dashiki and the hat, and he had, like, the, um, oh, I forget what it's called, like, the uh, the thing he would rave around with, like, the tassels on it. Okay. But he was supposedly yeah. from the Sudan. Like Abdullah the Butcher. Like Abdullah the Butcher. And then and then you have guys who would occasionally change. Like Frankie Kane, who was the great Mephisto. Yep. I I uh I asked I asked because I couldn't remember where if he was consistently billed from someplace. But he was usually just from generically Saudi Arabia. General Akbar, who actually was Frankie Kane's cousin. Nice. Um is um is apparently Sir is is Lebanese uh, his father's Lebanese and his mother is from an unknown uh someplace over there not like not I think she I think she was like an immigrant too but like he was usually from Syria or from Saudi Arabia and of course and it's funny um. I mentioned this. Uh, people should listen to the last episode of Charting the Territories that uh, previous podcast gets Al, uh, Al Getz does. They just did a big history on Akbar's career as an active wrestler before he became a manager. 
And I did not realize that most of his career, he was actually a babyface. Um, part of the time when he was strongman Jim Weba, because he, right. he apparently was known as himself like before getting into wrestling, as a strongman type. And then eventually, um, I think it was... He was angry. I've, I've, I, I now forgot who somebody to put some. Oh, Fritz. Fritz changed his name to Skandar Akbar. Sure. But he was a face for a while as Skandar Akbar. He teamed with Danny Hodge in Oklahoma. You can't be more of a baby face to team with Danny Hodge in Oklahoma. What was happening in the world that allowed that to happen? That just confuses me. Well, I mean, that's. Good guy, Skandar Akbar in Texas in. Well, this is 80s? no, 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 no. This is like mid to late sixties. Okay, what? Well, I guess was the Sheik ever a good guy in his native Detroit, or was I he don't... always a psycho heel? As far as well, we had this argument one day, and we were trying to come up with the guys who had never been baby faces that were heels, and almost everybody. You can weirdly find one time or two where, like, their heel partner turned on him for, like, a month. Right. So, like, Abdullah's been a babyface. The Mongolian Stomper's been a babyface. Mm-hmm. One of the ones we had trouble remembering, Cowboy Bob Orton has been a babyface. You know, it's like, as we've said, even these Russians, Nikita was a baby. Ivan was eventually a babyface and team with Ivan, or team with Nikita. Ivan Koloff became a babyface at some point? I remember Nikita. Yeah, well, because, okay. like, Paul Jones, it's when Ivan and Nikita were feuding with the Russian assassins. Okay. So Ivan was sort of briefly a babyface, because, again, heels turned on him, and then Nikita saved them, and then you had the embrace, and you had Ivan and Nikita team for, like, a little while, before one of them left, and then when they came back, they were heel again. But yeah, so Akbar, and then eventually, and then weirdly, like eventually, Akbar feuds with Armand Hussein in the '70s. So you have one's a babyface and one's a heel. So I mean, I would guess probably other than I mean, like we said, the Sheik is like an you know is a character unto himself, and like Abdullah. But I don't think probably until you get to like the mid '70s. Like is when you see like them become very. I mean, they were stereotypical in the whole. You wear the outfit. You may or may you may or may not bring out the rug to pray. Oh, the praying, yeah. You, you know, you've got the boots. You may or may not have a genie valet, as um. Great, and this apparently was the great Mephisto's wife, but he had a valet named like Princess Pauline or something to that effect. That was his wife. I, I, I gotta say, as as you know, someone with a little you know minor fascination with these characters, the great Mephisto has to be the single laziest that I have seen. Well, I mean, the, by, by a fair margin. Well, the thing that. I always found funny, and, and now that you sort of know more about his history, it makes sense. Like, I always wondered why Akbar 
never put on an accent. Because he would, because, like, Great Mephisto was pretty much done by the time I started watching wrestling. So, really, the, the main uh, Middle Eastern guys that I saw were the Iron Chief, General Adnan, and Skandar Akbar. Those are, like, the main three that I can recall from, like, the mid-80s. Um, so you have General Adnan, real Iranian, allegedly went to school with Saddam Hussein. Um, you have the Iron Sheik, real Iranian. Real wrestler, like real, like, you know, yes, the real, of Iran. Right, um, may or may not have been a bodyguard for the Shah, I, I don't know, I'm not sure where on the true spectrum that one lies. Mm-hmm. And then you had Akbar. Who sounded like a guy from Texas? Yep. Be- because he was, and presumably, if you're an old wrestling fan in Texas, you know that yes, Akbar is a Middle Eastern sheik with oil money and you know whatever else. But you may be old enough to remember that that like he that yes he's quote unquote an Arab, but he's from Texas. So I think I think that's probably like he was grandfathered in by the people who knew better. You know what I mean? He, as far as I know, he never because Mephisto. It sounds like occasionally tries to do the accent, and it comes and goes oh, sometimes. Oh, it comes and goes. It came but, and went like three times in the course of one interview that I saw. Yeah, but like Akbar never had it that I ever saw. And then of course, no. you know, and then like, you know, the Iron. And then, you know, the original sheet didn't talk, which is good because he's from Michigan. He never talked, right? He did not give interviews. He just showed up and tore shit down. Uh, from what everyone usually says, the sheik came in gimmick to the arena, so he stayed in gimmick from like the moment he got out of his car. <laughs> and like. So apparently, if you called to do business with him, like, he would kayfabe people on the phone. So, but again, he's, well, he's, I guess he's Syrian, but um, he's, like, American-born, but Syrian heritage. And, the and... Sheik? The Sheik. And, yeah, I mean, Michigan, you've got, like, fifth-generation oh, yeah. Arabs. Oh, yeah. And, been, no, but I'm they've just been saying... They've been up there for 100 years, the Arabs of Michigan. Yeah. But I'm saying he was, um, yeah. So he's at least actually Middle Eastern, you know, whatever generation American, uh, Arab American. And, you know, so is Sabu since he's his nephew. Yeah. That's real, right? Sabu actually is the Sheik's nephew. That was yes. never case. Okay. Yeah, that's real. I never knew if that was real or not. But, of course, the funny thing is, too, is also I was reading in, in like, Ed Farhat's biography is that he was also Christian, so he wasn't even Muslim. Yeah. Yeah, a, 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 a disproportionate amount of the Michigan Arabs are Christian. Like, they came sort of as a community almost. In the yeah, 90s. but it's just sort of, you know. But, you know, because and, – and then it seems like you have, like, the assorted random other bad guys. But I think those are, like, all of the main – Certainly of our era. Are, are we counting the brief flare, the the, the, the the comet across the sky that was Muhammad Hassan? Well, that was that was I was going to get to the whole that 
Frankie, presumably, if Frankie Kane and Akbar are cousins, then I would assume Frankie Kane has some. Uh, he is like some generation Arab American, or oh, on some level. Akbar is, the Sheik is. The Iron Sheik and General Adnan are legitimately from where they're legitimately yeah from that country yes. But but it's funny. But this introduces the whole other dimension of, and it's funny that it doesn't really happen much with Middle Eastern gimmicks, but you get the ethnics, you get one ethnicity who poses as a different ethnicity. Hmm. Like lots of these guys are like if you're Italian and you're a dark-skinned Italian. You can play. You can be from the Middle East. You can be an Indian. Um, you can. Um, you could. I guess you could probably. Yeah, yeah. I guess you could be North African or South African. But yeah, Muhammad Hassan is Italian. Now, yeah. now, the, now, Davari and Davari's brother are legit. Are legitimately Iranian Americans. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and you know, like Sanjay Dutt is really Indian American. Yep. You know, and um, there's a new, there's a whole wave of these guys. Yeah, and Mr. Hollywood boys. There's a there's a a, a, a chicken chick heel in TNA named Rohit something who's. Uh, well, I was gonna say, and then well, I was gonna say in WF now you have Mustafa Ali who like for a while was like, hey, look, we've got a good guy. Guy from the Middle East. Come back. He's he's fascinating. He's fascinating. And the thing is, he's part of it. But see, now he's part of this retribution Antifa gimmick. So he's a heel, but he's not a heel because he's Middle Eastern. It has nothing to do with his Middle Easternness. He's just a heel who's yeah. But like, you will see that. See that that was another. There's another group that we didn't talk about when we talked about Calgary with the the Viet Cong Express. But Calgary also had Gama Singh and Karachi Vice. So there you've got Pakistani bad guys, including Mike. Some of whom, some of whom were actual sort of like second, first and second generation Indo-Canadian. You know, they were they were they were immigrant kids. And well, some that's of them like. Were, were white guys. Yeah. Well, it's but, like you're talking about the guys that are in Impact. It's like I think they're like. The nephews of Gama Singh, I think. Are they? I I I think so. Or he, he they're either related or he trained them. But then, but see, the, yeah, you had those guys where you had a real legitimate um, Pakistani in the group. But then you had Mike Shaw being Muck and Singh, right. wearing the headdress and whatever else. But it's funny, yeah, that you have the whole... And then here's the great... Um, the other weird thing is General Adnan, legitimately from Iraq, friend of Saddam Hussein, what does he spend a large, uh, a good portion of his United States career as? An Indian. <laughs> he, you know, he becomes Billy White Wolf. And like the occasional partner of Chief J. Strongbow, who's Italian. That I, I did not know that. So it's funny that you've you know you have you have the rare instance where you have a guy who's Middle Eastern playing a different ethnicity, which 
It's usually the other way around. But it's funny that, because I think the deal was, I saw like some clip I think from a shoot like he like he met Vern and like Vern brought him over because he was like a legit amateur wrestler. And then I guess for a while he was here, but like wasn't playing himself, quote unquote. But yeah, I don't think he goes to the AWA as General Adnan or Sheik Adnan at KC until like 1981. And what's weird is, is he fused with Bockwinkle and Heenan, who are heels. But it's 1981, so on the on the totem pole, you know, it's okay if you're a heel, but hey, I'm an American too, and I don't want this guy from Baghdad coming over here to steal my title and take it back to Iraq. Right. Now, here's the funny thing about that, because I was watching some of these matches, and I remember this from, I think, when, when, when Bachmichael passed away. They were doing angles when they, at the beginning of the match where they were either running off or injuring Bobby Heenan at the start of the match because they figured people would not cheer for Nick Bockwinkel as long as Bobby Heenan was in his corner. Okay. So they had to remove Heenan from the match when he wrestled the Sheik so that people would boo the Sheik and not Bockwinkel. But the interview I saw with Bobby... The power of Bobby Heenan, man. Respect. Well, it's funny, yeah, because... It's funny because the interview that I saw with Bachwinkle... I think it was, like, during, during, like after his first match and, like, after his second. Yeah, but, like, Nick Bachwinkle in the middle of this thing running down KC actually, you know, dropped OPEC. And it's like... That might be a bit much for your... You use big words, Nick, but I don't know if you should necessarily... I guess everybody knew what OPEC was at the time, even guys watching wrestling. Yeah, yeah, enough, dude. Speaking of people who've never been faces, Bobby Heenan would be one of my candidates. Or is there some, like, long face run that I'm not aware of? I can't imagine Bobby Heenan as anything but a heel. Well, well see, you've got, the, where you've got the weird thing where he was anti-NWO. Okay. Because of Hogan. Right, because he hates so, Hogan. So Heenan was pro WCW when guys fought the NWO, but if it was WCW versus WCW, he supported the heels. Hmm. So there was a weird. It was sort of like my hatred for Hogan, like it crosses beyond the face heel boundary. No, but there's probably been times. I'd I'm sure it's happened. I'm sure it's happened. I mean, well, I, I, like. Yeah. Like, I know, like, he feuded in the NWA with Al Hayes. Like, they were, like, manager matches. But I'm sure that, by default, Al Hayes probably was the babyface because Bobby Heenan was the number one heel. But, yeah. One the, of the, the most punchable faces in the history of the business. And there's also the thing where... I don't know if this ever happened to... But, again, it's... He and, it's like Jerry Lawler. He does his exact same material, but if he's talking about heels, then he becomes a babyface. Mm. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's just weird. You know, it's like the exact same jokes. Mm. But and then you know, then eventually he then becomes a legend, so you can't really boo him, even though it's like, hey, I want Bobby Heenan to insult me, to get you know, like, come on, Bobby, insult me. 
Yeah, I want to say I want to say Bobby Heenan insulted me. You know, like being insulted by Henny Youngman or Don Rickles. You know, it's like a badge of honor. So, I don't know. I'm I, after all this. Like, I mean, I almost feel like we're at like a downtime. Forget not just Middle East heels, but like foreign heels. Like, I'm trying to think back on when the last proper. At least in WWE, like I mean, I guess in Impact you've got you've got you've got this Rohit Raju, I think his last name, who's who's playing a form. He's, he's playing a chicken shit heel who happens to be Indian. He's not playing the xenophobic heel. You had when early Rusev was well, was was basically the last of it, right? When he was well, like allegedly friends with Putin, they played well, yeah. the Putin stuff, but it lasted like six months and didn't and didn't. Well, yeah, I mean when you. When you have it coming out on a tank, then you're probably a xenophobic heel. Yeah. But, of course, the funny thing is he's Bulgarian, so they have to make him Russian. They made like, him a Russian sympathizer, basically, yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, it was like Ludwig Borga. It's like, wait, <laughs> wait, how can you, you have an anti-American Finnish guy? You know what I mean? It yeah, was kind of. That was like, the, that was peak foreign heel. Finnish. He's Finnish. Although well, I guess I guess we're, we're I guess if, if I'm saying that we haven't had foreign heels in a while, then then I'm forgetting like three different incarnations of Team Canada. Well, in various places. Well, see the thing is, I think now well part of the problem is, if you have somebody that's too xenophobic, you're going to get people protesting it. So it's like. You know, you come out and like if Mustafa Ali was like a stereotypical Arab people, you know, you'd get protests. If you have like, I, like you said, this, you don't know where this Apollo Cruz Nigerian gimmick is going to go. Yeah, I was surprised that they were doing this. Like, like really? I, I but, feel like it's almost like his last gimmick on his way out of the company. Like he just but, like, never made much of an impression. So let's just give him a couple months of this, and then yeah, again, I can't just, see this going anywhere. But see, it's funny because like. They did a thing a couple years ago where they had a heel faction of guys called the League of Nations. I do remember that. But it was weird because it was like Rusev and Sheamus. and all Wade, Europeans. Yeah, and Wade Barrett. Although fun, it was funny because I don't think Claudio was actually in it. Even though he may he have been. I feel like he, I think of him in it, but maybe not. But it was you know Sheamus what I mean? and Rusev and Wade Barrett and who? There was like a fourth. I have to think about it, but and I think just Wade Barrett got hurt for the four hundredth time, and that and it, that kind of killed it. And yeah, well, see, that's like all those guys. I mean, that's sort of the jinx of like the modern wrestler, where it's like you keep guys guys get hurt so often now that there's a lot of like stop starting. Well, then, well, then what's weird is well, then like well, then here's a question: like is is Asuka? A stereotypical Japanese heel. I mean, she's blowing mist. The green mist was it was a hell of a callback when that became a thing because she didn't come in doing the green mist. Like, no, she I mean been it's, around it's, being Oscar for years before they started that. Well, see, it was but, weird. Yeah. But I mean, she only did it when she was a heel, and then but that's the thing. It's like you've got her. You've got them as the Kabuki Warriors. It's like oh, what a terrible lazy ass name, God. 
but you know, it's like they were. I mean, they they didn't do a lot of. I mean, she blew the green mist. That was it. But like, they didn't throw salt or anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they were heels. See, that's the thing. It's like when you have a foreign heel, and it's like, well, as long as they're not being xenophobic, they're just heels, right? It's like you're you're incidentally from another country. <clears throat> but, uh, and you know, and well, now they've got the. Uh, I think she's a heel now. The like. Jean Li, or however you pronounce her name, is doing like the sort of mystical Chinese gimmick. Oh, and I don't know if you're watching any NXT. Uh, it's cringeworthy. But it's yeah, but really, I mean, I mean, they're doing. Really they're, I mean, they're doing like weird '70s kung fu mythology about you know. I mean, I know of it. I don't watch it, but it sticks out a mile uh, for its badness. Well, you know what's funny, and again, and then you also have this weird dynamic where I don't know what, like, I don't know if any of the American guys in Japan are doing anything, you know, that, the reverse. Now, well, former... that kind of half of the Bullet Club thing was just that they were they were obnoxious rock star foreigners coming yeah. in and we'll just, see. they were they were like rude they weren't xenophobic they were just dickhead foreigners they we'll were see. and then I mean he hasn't been back there in a while and I mean nobody's hardly resting anymore so I'm not sure what he's doing but like you know former former guest on the podcast Sam Adonis was doing his xenophobic flag waving gimmick in Mexico and like got to take Blue Panther's hair and then lost a hair match to Negro Casas. I mean like all because he was like a flag waving American. Sam Adonis is whose brother? Remind me Corey Corey Graves. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry for that. That's fascinating. Or Sterling James Keenan, if you go back far there enough. And is he still doing it? He's still like the the U.S. Well, I, I mean, guess there's, there's he a has long a... tradition of American, like, U.S. flag-waving heels in Mexico. That goes back. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, he was basically doing a lot of the same stuff that Art Barr and Eddie Guerrero did. Mm. I mean, he's waving the flag, and his flag had the picture of the former president on it. You know what I mean? He, You know, he's wearing the red, white, and blue trunks. You know, I don't recall if he ever actually made the swimming motion that Art Barr used to make to people. I was gonna, I was debating whether to mention that one. Yep. I don't, I don't recall, I, like, I, see, the problem is, I know a lot of his visual stuff, but it's now been a couple years, so I don't remember, again, because I don't remember how many promos he cut in English, like, on CMLL TV. So I don't know how much of, other than dropping the president's name and waving the flag, he did. But, you know, I mean, that's, I mean, he was getting super heat down there. Like I said, he was getting a main event push. But, like, nowadays, yeah, it's like, unless you're, and again, you know, the the Muhammad Hassan stuff, it was like, you know, it was funny because in the beginning it was actually a clever, nuanced gimmick 
But of course, being that company, they couldn't keep it that way. You know, I mean, you have a guy coming in who says, you know, I'm not a bad guy. People are just booing me because I'm Arab American. It you know, was interesting. It really was interesting for a very short amount of time. The line they were trying to, yeah. He's not here representing anybody, really. He's not from, he's like, I'm an angry Arab American, not like these other sellouts. You know, I speak the truth. Like, yeah, he was He was sort of basically saying, he's like, look, other Arab Americans may think I'm a dick, but here we are. And then they untrod ground, I guess. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And then they couldn't help themselves, and he had to try and decapitate the Undertaker with piano wire. Hmm. <sighs> You know, and is then that, is that the last sort of Arab slash Muslim bad guy on any kind of a big stage? I can't think of anybody. No, I mean, like, I think, like, I want to say, like, Davari may have been a heel, like, in NXT, but or or on 205, but I mean, that's, I'm forgetting the Davaris, that's true. But you I, know, I, but I, like, they're Iranian, a, yeah. But you know, if a tree. You know what I mean? Well, because then, well, as I think we talked about when you were on before, like, when they did the Blood Money shows, they had, like, the Davaris go out there and heal, saying we're better than, like, you know, hey, we're Iranian, we hate the Saudis. You know, and then they... amazing! And then, you know, they had the, the, like, the giant Saudi trainee come out and beat them up. Mansoor, you know, who is still around. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's. I mean, I I'm still constantly struck by because because there's you know like Sami Zayn. Oh yeah. Is an Arab from Montreal who speaks Arabic, who had his name written in Arabic on the back of some of his trunks sometimes, but it's always been just incidental. Well, to, see the. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. I mean, although it's weird that he has he has like the weird Castro gimmick, but but he's like yeah, he's a heel that's kind of like probably as close as they're going to get to being like a like a softy liberal that you're going to get on WWF TV, mm-hmm. you know, for like his. You know, about complaining about, like, workers' rights and blah, 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 and whatever else he says. I enjoy his character. I really but I'm just, do. I'm a, but, I'm a but big it, fan of Sami Zayn. But, I mean, more than anything, he's playing the annoying real-life Sami Zayn as his character. From what, ev- from what everyone says, they love Sami, but he's annoying as hell. Like, if you ever hear him on, like, if you hear him on people's podcasts, this is what they talk about. They're like... He's like, I know I'm the annoying, you know, it's like people like Kevin Owens, but like Sammy is like the annoying friend that always comes along with Kevin Owens. I've never actually heard him on a podcast, but I've heard people describe him as just like a natural backstage heat magnet and annoying. It's from like, it's from like a month or two ago. Look up when Sammy was on the New Day podcast. Okay. Because it's really funny. I mean, he, he's funny, but you can definitely tell he's very annoying. Just like Hyper? or Hyper, he's just like the guy that rubs people the wrong way. You know, like, 
inappropriate laughing or <laughs> too close guy like all those like gimmicky things that like people anno- like annoying personality traits it seems like he has a lot of them well i'm actually pleasantly surprised then that he's managed to stay in enough good graces like he's getting a ton of tv time for like two years like ever since he sort of kind of debuted this whatever like the green pant the green khaki pant, or not, no, 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 pants and, and like the paranoid angry motor mouth which gimmick. is He's funny about because two of this and they're well i mean it's funny too because he was gone for like six months because well depending on what story you hear it's either because he was like he i i want he had like some sort of like wisdom teeth thing that kept him out for a while but i think he was also one of those guys who was like i'm not coming back here until like everybody's wearing masks and we're like safer yeah he missed like the first four of like three four plus months of the pandemic wisely um, because he was because he's smart and knowing how lax they were being down there that you know you know he stayed away and Roman stayed away because Roman has a compromised immune system. Sure. So, and it's funny that he keeps back, Roman came back and now becomes, is like the biggest heel in the company, like the, his best work ever. He's really good. I, I mean, I never hated Roman. I could always sort of take or leave him. It's, it's, it's legit good. Well, it's funny that he's doing a lot of the stuff that, like, the smart fans have been begging for him for a while. It's like, turn him heel, let him talk, don't, you know. I had no idea he had this in him. I mean, it's, 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 and it's not just standing next to Paul Heyman. It's him. And his, it's, it's good. It's, it's flat out good. And they keep feeding him Kevin Owens and Daniel Bryan, like they are building him up. But 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 no, I'm loving the fact that Sami Zayn's Arabness has been completely incidental to his entire career. That's great. That's progress. You know what was the name of the guy? Oh God, I'm blanking on him. Damian Sandow is Arab. It has just never come up. You know, he's he's he's, a, he's an immigrant kid. He's Lebanese. You know, second or third generation. Because he's never done anything, I guess because he's done enough clever stuff on his own, and I guess, yeah, if you, I guess if you're smart enough to not, you know, to not have an ethnic name, then they're not going to immediately pigeonhole you. Well, yeah, yeah. Was, his, his real name is Aaron something. Yeah, yeah, he's got, yeah, it's, he's it's got Aaron, a completely yeah. innocuous name. Yeah, it's Aaron Stevens. But but then the other person I was going to think about is like Nakamura has been a heel off and on since he's been there. But it never usually has, I don't think it has anything to do with him being Japanese. It was just, he was a dick for a while. Yeah. He was a cool dick, and now he's a cool heel, and now he's a cool baby face. Like, he's always the same guy. <laughs> Coasting on his American money so he does not have to work hard anymore. And who can blame them? Yeah, I'm always curious about these guys that, you know, the, yeah, these guys that you think are, like, trapped in the WWE machine, and then they re-up for another three years. Like, you know, they're, 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 it's just, it's a, probably a decent life, especially especially if you're not going on the road. 
as much as as you know because that's always the wwe thing is like they put you on the road more than just about anybody else like you you know you see your family two days a week or something and, like that i'll say and now there's no road so although i i still have no idea how i've never quite understood like when the when the channel happened what happened to everybody's pay-per-view money <laughs> like, wasn't that a, did it just all go away <laughs> you Yes, the company that the company that made everybody stop doing their cameos and Twitch unless they sign a deal to give them a cut of the money. This company? Yeah. I so mean they, that, just, they just kept it? Like everybody just made less because the pay per view payout like what little I understand about the mechanics of the business I I never fully understood. Like but obviously there's something there. Otherwise, why would Cesaro just resign? Like Cesaro could walk it, it, it two, you know, he could go to Japan or to AEW and and be you know top of the card and appreciated and 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 all or near the top of the card at least be be treated better. Well, but, I mean, unless of course he's not being treated badly. Well, know? I mean, in I mean, in his circumstance, you know, um, as far as I know, he is still with. Sarah Del Rey, and since she works in the office, it's like... So it's a lifestyle thing. It's like, you know, you live in Orlando. It's like now you work, like, once a week. You know what I mean? And, and he, you know, and... and well, see, and the, the thing is that guys now, basically, guys have their downside, whatever that is, and basically merch. And you figure, on some level... He's got to be cut in with some of, like, the up-up-down-down money merch. And if they're selling, yeah, you know, I mean, if it's as big as it sort of appears, then you would assume that those guys, like, Woods is getting most of it, but you would assume those guys like Breeze who are on the channel all the time probably are getting wet. God, Tyler Breeze must, yeah, if Tyler Breeze is getting, like, a cut of the up-up-down-down money, then that's probably dwarfing his salary. But, I mean... You would think just on their, you know, I mean, like if they're cut in for, like they wouldn't get all the merch money, but like, like all now their their, you know, departy Uno stuff, they have their own merch now. So you would think, again, who knows with that company, mm. that like Cole and Claudio and Breeze get some piece of that. You'd think, but like, I mean, like if you're Woods. It's like you're now hooked into this, and like the the company presumably is somehow tied into you getting like that G4 gig, because I think he uses his WWE name on there, which means they have to approve it somehow, probably. Okay. I mean, because he's because as far as I know, he's not on G. I think on G4 he's Xavier Woods. He's not Austin Creed or whatever. Okay. Okay. Yeah, now no, you have this... I mean, it made sense for. Yeah, I'm sure they, they you know, they, they 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 cut him a good deal. Yeah, when they were like, you know, bouncing who was it, Zelina Vega or whoever else out of there. Like, yeah, it made sense that like Woods had built this whole thing. I'm sure they kind of like, you know, I'm sure they gave him a, a good, you know, a good incentive to stay. Yeah, but I mean, you know, and you know, there may be guys who figured. The grass isn't necessarily greener because it's like, yes, these guys are getting 
good money now, but it's like, who knows how long this lasts? Like, yes, Tony Khan presumably has bottomless money, but, you know, what happens if TNT suddenly decides they don't want to show it anymore? Or Tony's dad decides that this is a bad idea for some reason? And, you know, we need more money for Fulham. So we're going to take it out of AEW to sign a striker so we stay in the Premier League? Sure. Or well, Yeah, that's, I mean, because, yeah, you see these cases where, you know, Luke Harper escapes and and Dean Ambrose escapes. And then two other people who you, you would have, you know, like, they re-up. Nobody's a prisoner. It's like, okay, there must, there must, there must be some upside to it. Well, that's like the money must be good. Like they can't, they they, they couldn't just say, okay, now there's no more pay-per-views. So everybody's income just got cut by 40%. Like, I mean, they've got to make it up somehow. Otherwise people would leave. More people would leave. Obviously people have left, but. But that, but it's, it's just funny when you read like smart fans online who are just like, I you know, how can anyone stand working for this horrible, horrible company that does all of these horrible things? And it's like, well, one, you got to compartmentalize. And two, up until now, there really wasn't a good alternative. And it's like, that alternative may look good now, but who's to say? And and what happens if something does happen? It's like, are you confident that, like, you have not burnt your bridges by going to work for that company in Vince's eyes? I mean, is Vince... I mean, if AEW ended tomorrow, for whatever reason, it's like, is he going to take Chris Jericho back at this point, right now? Or is he going to make him stew for a while? Mm. You know what I mean? It's like, would he take, you know... Would he take Rusev back? Would he take Moxley back? Right. You know what I mean? It's, you know, would he take Cody back? You know, who knows? But it's like, some of those guys have been free for so long, they probably do not want to be part of the system anymore. And when you've got, you know, the kind of grudges that Cody apparently has, you know, he's probably never going back. I mean, he's fighting with the company over intellectual property that, that Dusty created. So, you know... I'm sure they're not necessarily going to welcome him back with open arms, I would imagine. Well, I got to say, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm really glad AEW is out there. Like, it, it actually has kind of, you know, sparked my fandom. You know, I went to. I when The, the very first AEW uh, Dynamite was taped here in Washington, D.C., and I bought a ticket and took a friend and went and, and it had a ball. Like, it, 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 right? I, it's good stuff. I'm glad they're there. I'm glad they're doing stuff. When, 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 when Luke Harper died, I was sad. Like, that show gutted me. The, 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 the tribute show. I teared up. No what joke. I, what I tell people is, I am happy that AEW exists in theory. Like, I am happy there is an alternative for people to work and for more people to have jobs. I just don't want to watch it. Fair enough. The same as like I don't I you know I don't watch Impact and I don't watch MLW and I don't watch I think that's probably that's probably you know the I briefly watched the NWA show when they tried 
but I mean, I enjoyed that with Nick Aldis and. Uh, I mean, it was it was the Billy Corgan stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, that was my man. That was my man, Aaron Stevens, like showing off his 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 heel work. I I enjoyed him and his fake Hollywood karate gimmick. Yes, bring it. Although, on. yeah, I was say speaking of speaking of people that passed away because the. The question mark died, yeah, right? Yeah, the, yeah, the question mark guy died. I did, I, heard, I just realized that like a week ago. I heard about that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that's all. I mean, it's it only happened like I mean, that's that's when it happened. The guy who used to be Josephus, and the question mark, and a bunch of other things. But it's like I, it's like that show is cute, and it's like it's. It's not quite kitsch. It's retro, but it's not. It's not kitsch the way that when they did that Southpaw stuff in WWE that you could tell. Like, that was good. Well, but there, but see, there's a. The thing that bothered me, like I thought Southpaw was funny, but there was like an air of meanness to it. Like it's still, it's still. It was clever, but it's also, hey, it's, it's WWF again making fun of Southern wrestling. Yes, fair enough. Fair this enough. is not this is this is not what we do. This is what we put out of business. This is what Vince hates. Yeah, know. is that going to come back? The NWA is that like is that a still a going venture? Is the last they announced the other day. They're having an internet pay-per-view soon. And then I think the show's coming back, but it's not going to be on YouTube. I think it's going to be on one of the streaming services. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to be free anymore, I think. But see, the problem with that is, I mean, I don't... They lost a lot of the... It's like, okay, they still have all this, and they still have... I think um, all they have is Aldis and the former Damian Sandow. I'm not sure who else they got. But I mean, Ricky Star. They, they they took Eddie Kingston and Ricky Star off of that show. Well, and and I guess technically they still have Thunder Rosa, but she's been in AEW too. But she's still oh, NWA. Yeah. But she's NWA champion, so I assume she'll. Oh, and while we're on while we're on Secret Arabs in wrestling, Serena Deeb. Yeah. That's I don't know this for a fact. I've never looked up, but that's an Arab name. Every Deeb I've ever met in my life has been Arab. This is my fascination. Sorry. Let's just take a look. <laughs> Let's see what Wikipedia tells us. But I enjoyed that show. Like, there, there, there is officially just way too much wrestling, and I am trying to watch, like, way too much of it, or at least speeding through it. Like, I watch AEW, but... I also, like I said, don't care that much about Cody and don't care that much about the Young Bucks. So that's about 45 minutes of any given show that I speed through. Well, she is, she is, uh, I don't know about currently, but she is from Fairfax. So she is down in your general vicinity. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. She went to, oh. <laughs> she went to Indiana University Southeast. Where's that? Uh, that's a good question. I am looking it up. Not Bloomington? New Albany. Jeez, I'm an IU grad like you. I don't know if I've heard of Indiana University Southeast. Well, don't you remember one university, eight front doors? 
<laughs> I do recall. Which was the... I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I could guess where all the IU branches probably are. You know what I mean? Like, you would assume there was one in Fort Wayne. You would assume one There in... is in Fort Wayne, yes. There were, You would assume there's one in Terre Haute. You would assume there's one in Evansville. And then... One of, one of these extreme fringe IU branches produced 10-year NBA player George Hill, quite randomly. I mean, of course, the only... Of course, the one that isn't an IU branch is Uwe Pooey, which is like... It's, it's, not... it's No, because it's Indiana University slash Purdue University in Indianapolis. Well, when I lived in Fort Wayne... Uh, after graduation, I, I was in Fort Wayne for four years, and, and, and the, 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 it was IPFW. It was another joint Indiana-Purdue creature up there. Yeah. I am – let's see. Let's just take a look. Uwe Pooey Jaguars. Let's see. I never knew that. What, Hoosiers not good enough for them? A core campus of Indiana University that offers that also offers Purdue degrees. It, it is a result of the merger in 1969 of the Purdue Indianapolis Extension Center and Indiana University Indianapolis. So maybe it actually is. But I can swear Indianapolis was not part of that eight front door gimmick. I think it changes. It shifts. I mean, we were we're about thirty years out from that at this point. You and I, my friend. The Urban University hosts the primary campus for both the IU School of Medicine and the IU School of Dentistry, the only dental school in the state. How about that? <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I couldn't. I mean, I would I would hate to fathom how different things work there now. I mean. I mean, it's bad enough that, like, they dismantled the newspaper or whatever they did to it. Yeah. So, yeah, there was, I was, I had a, I got a, I had a tweet liked from somebody a couple months ago that, like, they're, like, it was a soccer thing. And, like, they tweeted, like, they were like had gone to like IU sports marketing or sports journalism or whatever, blah blah blah. And I tweeted the guy and I was like, Hey, I you know I was there so long ago our newspaper had paid circulation. And like I didn't hear I didn't hear anything back from the guy, but it would have been funny to hear like what it's like to work at the newspaper now versus like you said, we barely had the internet when we worked on the newspaper. Right. So, I mean, I mean, I tell, I mean, I tell people I was in grad school. I was in grad school when the World Wide Web was invented. I mean, we had the internet before that, but we did not have the web until like 1995. And we had VMS. That's what we and we had news groups. We did not have web pages. I remember news groups, sure. I mean, I had to learn how to, I mean, I was, I think it was like my second year at Bowling Green when like we learned how to code websites in Mosaic because 
that's how you wrote web pages. That all that's all there was. We are old. I I remember my first job out of college was at the, a newspaper in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and there was one computer in the newsroom that had access to the internet and search engines and stuff like that. And I think we were all using like Magellan or Alta Vista or my God stuff like that. They long dead search engines. Yeah, we are old. Uh, the, the theme of this show is we are old. We are old. Yes. We are old. So thank you, Ash, for for hopping on again. It's been a while. Always a pleasure. Do you uh, do you want to plug anything that's going on in in your neck of the woods, a couple of hours south of me? <laughs> we briefly uh, we briefly t- before we started, we were discussing what what we would and wouldn't talk about, and. I said the extent of it will probably extend to public affairs, but needless to say, uh, you were there. You were uh, you had a front row seat for what happened at the Capitol building. We'll leave it at that. So that's sort of what you're doing down there. Yes, I was there on January 6th and got pulled from the grounds. I, I work for the Associated Press, and uh, one of our camera crews got their stuff like grabbed and smashed and run off and uh and so they pulled us and then i came back later on that day but uh but yes i I covered the egyptian revolution and then i came here and ended up in the middle of whatever you want to call all this that's happening but no not much to plug i work for the ap my name's ashraf khalil google me read my stuff if, if, if somebody really wants to, feel free. I wrote a book about the Egyptian Revolution. It's probably available on Amazon for like a buck fifty at this point. At some point, not today because we're way long, but I mean, at some point, I would like to uh, – I'd love to talk about like while you were there and what happened, what happened with the football there and – and were you there when Bob Bradley was coach of the Egyptian team? Oh, boy, yes. He was interesting, yes. And then it all, like, went down in flames. Like, we were sort of, like, the, 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 the team was doing well, and he was giving interviews. And then I think we lost catastrophically to somebody, and he was kind of run out of town. Yeah, that was a brief – I was there for that, yes. And I can't remember if it was Saudi Arabia or Algeria – one of these countries that Egyptian soccer fans really hate that just clubbed us. Like, like some way, one of these things that was like out of control in the first 10 minutes and just kept going and was like a seven to nothing loss. And yeah, Bob went away. Qu- I would say Bob if went I would away say, quietly after that, if I had to guess, I would say it was probably Algeria knowing like which countries in the region are soccer powers in which aren't Algeria is usually like Algeria from what I recall and you probably know this better like Egypt and Algeria are like the North African football powers as opposed to you know um like Senegal and Ivory Coast and no yeah no yeah the the sub-Saharan a whole different thing but like the arab north african powers yeah it's it's egypt and nigeria or egypt and algeria and they hate each other hate you know each i other. you know what i just recalled off the top of my head you know 
Butcher Vashon and Mad Dog Vashon. Sure. I believe they are. They were built from being uh, being from Algeria. Why not? Random enough, probably. Even though, sure. even though I'm sure they are actually French. I'm sure. Well, I guess the question is. Well, they're definitely. They're absolutely French Canadian. But I guess but, the question uh, is, are they native? Let's see. No. I think they're white guy Canadians. I think they are. I don't. I don't think they're they're immigrant Canadians like Sammy. Let's see. Maurice Vachon. Canadian Perez. Let's see. Do, do, do. Yep. Born Montreal, Quebec. I want to say, and you know, oh, you know what else who you would count? I don't know if you would count this because I think they're usually white guys. Mm-hmm. But guys who had the French Foreign Legion gimmick were usually French Canadian. But I think they were they were often billed as being from like North Africa somewhere. I'm sure that was part of it. I've actually like you know I I married into a, a family of uh, of Lebanese who live in Montreal. So I you know I've spent quite a bit of time in Montreal and I've always wanted to explore the wrestling scene up there. You know what's going on because I'm sure you know the fact that the Montreal wrestling scene has produced Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens who are basically two of the more interesting wrestlers of my generation. Like, you know, two, I, I love them. I love the way they approach the business and two of well, the more unlikely success stories of our generation. Well, if, if you thought Chikara was, quote-unquote, wrestling as art, uh, I was friends for a while during that time uh, and went to show in Montreal run by the wonderfully gimmicked named Mike Roch, <laughs> who, who ran interspecies wrestling? Oh, excellent. So I, uh, it was a show. There was like, oh, many of the Canadian guy, the Montreal guys that ended up working in Chikara worked for that company too, like Shane Hawk and 3.0, who are now Everrise. I think that's your name in NXT. Heard and, of, yes. And I think, and Steen, I think Steen worked on the show that I was at. Because I believe after the show, he cut a foul mouth tirade against Mike Quackenbush for some reason. I um, love Kevin Steen. I really do. I love the fact that he just has six, that he's on my television. I mean, look at it. It's just fantastic. You know, so yeah, Rene Goulet actually is also indeed from Quebec despite whatever gimmick he had. So I think he was, he was, I'm pretty sure he was one of the foreign Legion guys because he was Sergeant, <laughs> Sergeant Rene Goulet. Um, yeah, but I mean, yeah, well, there's a book. If this interests you, I will give you, let's see, let me look it up. The guys, um, did you read the recent book about Andre the Giant? No. Well, that was written by two French Canadian guys named. Oh, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna mix their names up so let me get it right. It's Bertrand A. Bear and Pat Lapar La, Pat Laprade wrote um, wrote this really great um, book about Andre. 
But they also wrote a book called, what's it called? Um, but it was like, it's a, it's a history of, um, oops. It's a history of Montreal wrestling. So it's got like about the Mad Dogs, Midgets, and Screwjobs. The untold story of how Montreal shaped the world of wrestling. That's also very good. So if you're interested in Montreal wrestling, I would recommend... There does appear to be something in the water up there. Well, I mean, well, I mean, it's... You think about it, it's not only Montreal. I mean, it's Montreal and it's also Calgary. I mean, part Hmm. of it is that it was always viewed... I mean... It was more sport than sh- it was viewed as more sport than show for a long time, as it was in certain places here. Like again, where like wrestling is big, like in Oklahoma, like for McGurk and Watts, they had a lot of real wrestling there. I mean, you know, I mean, it was more reality based than other places. <clears throat> Same with AWA because see it's always the promotions were shaped by the people that owned them. Right. Eddie Graham lots of solid wrestlers and shooters down there cuz that's what Eddie Graham was. You know, Bill, you know, McGurk junior heavyweight, lots of heavyweights, lots of technical wrestling. Turns over to Watts, becomes a big guy character, like a big Hoss territory, because that's what Bill Watts was. You know, so... You know, in Montreal, you have whoever ran it first, but then you have all the Rougeos, and then you have the Vachans. Sure. And all, you know, various other people, so it's very sporty. Toronto, sort of, well... I mean, it was WWF for a while. I mean... And it was Crockett, and then it was WBF. So it was a lot more glitzy. I mean, gritty, but, you know, and then Calgary, you have Stu. So it's rough and tumble like Stu. Yeah. So, but I think generally, I mean, I've always heard it said that it's because Canadians viewed it more more sport than entertainment. Like the percentage tilted... You know, I mean, it was more like 65-35 sport. Whereas, you know, Memphis, where it's, you know, 30% wrestling, 70% gaga. Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee. Well, but I mean, you know, well, maybe not necessarily when Ron Fuller's dad ran it. But, like, once you get (laughs) to, like, the Jarrett era, you know what I mean? It's Yeah, like the modern era, it's a lot, Jarrett's a little guy. Lawler's a relatively little guy. Dundee. Jackie Fargo's not that big. So you got a lot of small guys and you got a lot of... And again, depending on where you are, if you're running weekly versus monthly, you know what I mean? You've got to do more when you run a town every week rather than if you run it once a month. Like, I mean... You know, Vince Sr. had the advantage of he had this circuit with lots of big cities, 
Right. But they only ran like once a month. I mean, Whereas Memphis was weekly? <coughs> Memphis is Texas weekly. Texas was weekly? Every place in the South, generally speaking, was weekly. I'm like AWA may have been monthly. I have to think about it, but like, yeah, I mean that's why it was. I mean that's why they called it a loop, because you went, you pretty much went to the same city every week, and that's why you drove like three thousand miles in a week because Watts' territory went from all the way from like southern Louisiana up to Tulsa and Oklahoma City, and and Mississippi. So I mean. In a week. And guys in Florida went, you know, every week did Tampa, Miami, and Orlando, and sometimes Jacksonville and Tallahassee, depending on things. So, I mean, they were putting thousands of miles every week, whereas WWF guys, I don't think, I mean, they may have had lots of spot shows, and that's how Vince got most of his money, but I didn't think about it. But, I mean, all the southern territories, yeah. I mean, Texas was, yeah. But, see, Texas is weird because for a while they were running, like, during the height of the Von Erich stuff, they were running, like, three shows a week in the Metroplex. Three shows a week? But then you think about how big, well, because they, they had two TV shows in, in world class, one that they taped in Fort Worth and one that they taped in Dallas. And the Dallas was a syndicated show, and that's like the one that ended up going up on the satellite around the country. And then the Fort Worth show was two hours a week, but it was local. It was on a different. It was on a different channel. That's why. And the, if you listen to Coronet talk about this, they have these longest matches, and they basically. He says that's where he learned to cut promos because they would give him all the time he wanted to cut promos on that TV show. So he would have like eight minute promos and just talk and talk and talk because he was filling time rather than have boring long two out of three tag team matches with sort of lumbering guys in world class that weren't all that great except for a couple exam couple exceptions. Right. So yeah, so I mean if I mean if Vince would have had to run Madison Square Garden every week, I can you know. And all the buildings in the South were relatively small. I mean, you know, probably like six, seven, eight thousand at the most. Right. I mean, they did not, you know, I mean, they had all these sale streaks in Memphis, but Memphis only hold, held like eleven, twelve, thirteen thousand. Okay. Per size, the city of Memphis, whereas could I mean? With the population of New York, could Vince have run Madison Square Weekly and got eighteen thousand? They would. It would have had to been super hot. Yeah. And I can't imagine they would have. But then, I mean, the smart guys tailored their business to fit the territory. I mean, if you listen to the Studcast, Fuller talks about how they only had two real towns on their loop. The rest of them were all of these small towns around Tennessee, around Knoxville, that they would run once a month, four times a year. But they would pack 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 people in the high school gym in this small Tennessee town and then not come back for two months. 
Right. But there's so many of them that you didn't run out, and when you started to run out, you just went back around. Right. See, this is why, to me, learning about the history of the business is sort of more entertaining than just watching current stuff. <laughs> to go back to that. Understandable. Like I said, that's, that's like I was going to say a while ago. I mean, the reason I don't mind getting my observers late is a lot of the current news I don't necessarily care about. It's like... <laughs> I mainly keep getting the Observer 1 because I'm a completist and I have a 30-year streak. And 2, it's like to read the obits. And unfortunately, there's more and more ob- I think somebody told me this week's Observer has six obits in it. Hmm. And that's not even counting like all these random luchadors that get like a one-line mention in the Observer because nobody really knows. who the- You know, because they're just... A guy who's a luchador in Mexico that unfortunately passed away that nobody's really heard of that's reading the Observer. Whereas, I'm certainly I'm certainly going to be fascinated to read Dave's Jim Crockett obituary this week. Mm. I mean, even though I basically know most everything, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of details. And again, it depends on who talks to Dave this week. Like, is... I don't know if Dave's on speaking terms with Flair right now, but I assume if he talked to Flair, he'll get some good stories. Sure. Unfortunately, he's not talking to Cornette anymore, so he won't get any of those stories, but unless he listens to... Well, I mean, Cornette spent an hour on the podcast this week talking about Jim Crockett, so I mean, imagine he'll be able to mine that if he wants to. Yeah. Well, I think we're about done. <laughs> I think so. Now, yeah. now that it's late in... Well, it's not late in the evening when you work overnights, but it's late in the it's late in the evening for normal people. And I know you have small children, so you're going to need to get up and get up in the morning and deal with them. I used to be nocturnal. I, I used to be damn near completely nocturnal. Kids fix that. There you go. Well, thanks again, Ash, and I'm sure I'll find some reason at some point in the future to have you back on. Maybe. Uh... I don't know what well, I don't know what baseball is going to be like this year. But maybe we'll have we'll be back on to talk about baseball or something. Love to. Sounds good. Cool. Thank you very much. Um, we may be having uh, another episode uh, soon. Uh, we were talking about doing something with somebody um, that may or may not be happening in the next couple of days. If so, we'll have a new episode out. If not, we'll have a new episode out when we have one out. So thanks everybody for listening. Talk to you later. Bye.